So as if COVID and people taking now ivermectin and enough, um, we just had a hurricane that started in New Orleans and went all the way up to New York over land and had enough juice to make tornadoes and shut down the subway system. And so that's what, uh, that's what we're dealing with at the current moment. The United States has no right, no desire, and no intention to impose our form of government on anyone else. No democracy can survive when its public life, its public goods are so privatized and militarized and individualized. So you won't take down lies or you will take down lies? I think it's just a pretty simple yes or no. So we tell a handful of billionaires who become phenomenally richer, yeah, you're going to have to pay more taxes. Yeah, I think that like the ivermectin alone would be a lot to deal with. Isn't that, I heard that that was for like horse deworming. Yeah, so it's a deworming agent for horses and I think other livestock. And but you know what? You know what? They they prescribe I, a lot of stuff. Like the the medication that I actually take for bipolar disorder was originally prescribed to help with seizures. So for all I know, I could take horse deworming medication and it would cure any coronavirus I may have in my body. It's called off label, Nick. That's right. <laughs> I I just I just can't believe like like I'm watching these local news reports about tractor supply like not being able to keep it on the shelves seriously like it's yeah. selling that much i thought it was like a fringe like joke oh thing. no it's 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 become yeah even joe rogan he took he took it um when he, he got did COVID, not like last week yeah he did oh my god i did <laughs> see a picture um online of like the ivermectin shelf and then there was a little sign like a handmade sign that someone had made someone who worked at the store that said like this will be sold to horse owners only. You have to show a picture of you with your horse. <laughs> oh my gosh. I I just love the ones where it's like the guy in the hospital and the horse is like up next to him. Like, did you take my medicine? <laughs> <laughs> but it's like these people will do anything but take the vaccine that was designed for the virus. Yeah, it's so weird. I was just doing some research on, um, like the vaccine and like partisanship. And I found out I'll put the study in the description that I was looking at, but like in 2009, remember the swine flu? I remember that. Yeah. Um, there was, um, there was like a study that was conducted on some Pew research. And what they did was they called people and asked them survey questions like, um, and these weren't like right next to each other, but like in the survey, like some of the questions they asked were like, how much do you trust your government? And then later they would ask, you know, if the swine flu vaccine were available today, would you take it? And what the study shows is that a lower trust in government was correlated with people being less likely to take the vaccine. And I think the same thing is going on now. Um, I think they also asked people in that survey in, uh, 2009, like what their party affiliation was. And I think it was the same thing. Obviously COVID is a lot more impactful than swine flu. It's a lot bigger than swine flu. (laughs) 
it's like the John Lennon, like bigger than Jesus, but it's like we're bigger than swine flu. <laughs> but like, I, I think it's it's really interesting because there is a tangible correlation between trust in the government and like trust in vaccines. Oh, for sure. I mean, there was a news report that showed this came out a few days ago that sh- that showed that the counties that voted voted most most for Trump in um, 2020 are some of the counties with the highest spread rates of the virus yeah. because people people don't want to take the vaccine. Which is so interesting because I feel like I remember Trump saying, you know, when he was president, like he was assuring everyone, like we're working on a vaccine, like the vaccine's coming. Like he seemed like very pro-vax to me. And I even remember like raising issue with one of the statements that he said during the campaign, which was like, we will have like the national guard or the military, like ready to distribute this vaccine. And I remember thinking, you know, cause I'm kind of like vaccine critical lightly, lightly. I have, I have the vaccine. I am vaccinated full disclosure, <laughs> but I, I, you know, I think people have a right to question. Right. But I remember taking issue with that because like, he made it sound like it was going to be like force distributed. And I don't remember any of my Republican friends or Republican colleagues raising issue with that. So I think that that's very interesting that Trump seems to have switched. And I even saw, I think the Hill today reported that Trump said (laughs) that quote, the booster shot was not for him, (laughs) which I found kind of amusing. Yeah, it's it's really weird because you think early on where he was calling it a hoax and downplaying it. Um, then he he takes credit for Operation Warp Speed, which if he wants to take credit, by all means, whatever. And now he and this happened recently. He went to an, a rally in Alabama and said, "Oh, I I take the I took the vaccine. I recommend you take the vaccine." Um, and he got booed by his own supporters. Really? Yeah. So again, you could just hear it in the crowd, like, woo, boo. And he's like, ah, no, I, I understand you. You have your freedoms. <laughs> and it's, it's just, I don't know, man. It's so bizarre. Because you, you listen to these people and it's like, after they've exhausted every argument, they just come down to like, well, I don't, I don't want to be told what to do. Right. It's like, okay, but like, I, f- I feel like you can look at this one of two ways, right? You can look at this as like, okay, is this a vaccine that works, that's highly effective, that um, at, the, at the very least prevents hospitalization and death? Right. Yes. And I mean, like whether you're being told to do it, which, which most people aren't being forced to take it, but whether you're being told to do it or you're not being told to do it, like that doesn't impede the effectiveness of the vaccine. Yeah. You know I think I mean? that's an excellent point like because like the really, way it's like, it's like, and libertarians do this all the time. It's just like, they take anything that's coming from the government and they say, Oh, well, that's just definitionally bad. Cause it's mm-hmm. coming from the government and anything that's coming from the private sector is definitely definitionally good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, <laughs> like that's no, ridiculous. That's like, yeah. Like, um, torture endless war the government's doing it bad the minimum wage child labor laws good (laughs) like i think we can differentiate these things yeah absolutely and i just don't get why these people can't 
Yeah, I, I agree. Like they too. can't think, think through two things at once. I think that it's it's another one of those cases where I'm gonna champion critical thinking, right? Because I'm I'm the same way as a lot of people. I don't I don't trust the government. I think, you know, in, in a lot of cases the government is too big. I mean, you can take a look at like the surveillance state that we're living in. You can look at obviously we've talked numerous times on our show about, you know, the military. Um, so I don't, I'm not a government fan. And I think, you know, that's where I, I clash with a lot of, uh, Democrats and liberals because they, they seem to have like an overwhelming amount of trust for the government. And at the same time, they have, you know, an overwhelming level of trust for the vaccine. Um, but I think that it's one of those things, which is how I arrived at my position, like, okay, well, you know, we can look at the ingredients that are in the vaccine. I think there's like six ingredients. Mercury isn't one of them. We can look at like, you know, the fact that most people nowadays, you know, within the past couple months that have been hospitalized for COVID, they're unvaccinated. You know, I I think that there is, there is that evidence there and we have to look at that and again, critically analyze, okay, yeah, I don't trust the government. I don't like being told what to do, but regardless of that, the vaccine seems to be working. And so that's kind of how I arrive at yeah, people should get vaccinated. Now, my opinion is like, no one should be like gunned to their head, like injected, of course. But I, I think that if it's, if it's a situation of like, nah, I'm not getting that because I don't trust the government. Uh, I would say, think, think a little more about that. You know, like you're kind of cutting your nose off to spite your face. I like that way of putting it. Yeah. It's, um, it's 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 interesting but in other news climate change hurricane ida climate so, that's still going on <laughs> yeah yeah no uh we, we we put it on pause for the pandemic and um you know it's it's just like uh just like student loans they paused it but um it's gonna start back again in january so oh so, yeah well 100 percent. i mean worry. you look at like the wildfires i feel like there's wildfires in california like every year and that has mm-hmm. just sort of become something like, oh yeah, wildfires, they happen every year. And obviously, you know, we've got Hurricane Ida. Yeah. You brought up the wildfires. Um, this is from the Washington Post. Historic heat wave in Pacific Northwest um, has killed hundreds in, in the US and Canada just over the past week. Wow. So this is an article from the Washington Post and it goes into how like the landmass of area that's been burned just this year so far is equivalent to the size of Delaware. And wow. Delaware is obviously a very small state, but it's still a that's state. a huge yeah. that's a huge amount of landmass. Also, here um, smoke from Siberia wildfires. So there's wildfires in Siberia now, reach North Pole in historic first. Yeah. So that's happening as well. And then we have this um this hurricane, which we just learned recently was the fifth largest hurricane to hit the US mainland. Um uh, has caused 40 billion so far, in terms of what they know anyway, of damages. Um just a bunch of flooding, power thousands of people without power. Apparently there's a power line that fell in the Mississippi River, so now it's messing up that traffic. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just sitting here wondering, like, like, are, are we going to do something about this? Are we going to time soon? Yeah, I, I think like 
people don't realize, like, I think especially, or maybe politicians do realize, but I think like, you know, you've got the mass population who witnesses, you know, obviously like you're living in Michigan, I'm in Colorado now. And so I don't think either of us are really affected by like hurricane Ida. Um, but I think that, you know, we hear about it obviously on the news and we hear about it on Twitter and we say like, God, that's horrible. Like, I can't believe that's happening. And I think that a lot of people just kind of look at it as this sad event and, and don't really think about the causes and make the connection that like, oh, this is caused by the fossil fuel industry. This is caused by climate change. And that is something that we have the imperative to correct. So for me, I almost get offended when I listen to these politicians and, you know, on both sides um, of the aisle that say, oh, you know, this is so horrible that this is happening. You know, we stand with, you know, the victims of the hurricane and all, all of these platitudes while refusing to do anything substantive on climate change. I, th- I find it um, disgusting. Right. And there's a new intergovernmental um, panel on climate change, a new IPCC report out. So these reports come out about seven years. Um, there's about a hundred, um, a couple hundred scientists who are working on them and they basically compile thousands of studies, thousands of thousands of articles. Um, and this is a little bit of it from the Washington Post here. UN General Secretary Antonio Gutierrez called the findings a code red for humanity. So talking about the findings in the report and said society must find ways to embrace the transformational changes necessary to limit warming as much as possible. We owe this to our entire human family, he said in a statement. There is no time to delay and no room for excuses. Each of the past four decades has been um, successfully warm, warmer than any that preceded it, dating back to 1850. Humans have warmed the climate at a rate unparalleled since before the fall of the Roman Republic. To a time, to find a time when the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere changed this much, this fast, you'd have to rewind 66 million years to the meteor that killed the dinosaurs. Wow. Also here at higher levels of warming, the report finds it becomes much more difficult to predict how the planet will respond. Sophisticated computer models become uncertain. Scientists cannot easily see clues in the past because there is no record time in human history when changes have been so extreme um, and so fast. We're in uncharted territory, Cobb said. So Cobb is one of the authors of the report and Make some pretty good points, basically saying, yeah. like, hey, this has gotten to a point where we can't even necessarily predict what's going to happen next, just because we it's, it's never been to this level. Mm-hmm. They go on to point out that if we get to net zero emissions by 2050, we could um, stop the warming that's happening. Um, if we don't, we, we could risk raising our global temperature two degrees by 2100. But if we do everything that we have to do, we could um, potentially reduce the temperature by one and a half degrees by, wow. by that same time. Okay. So there is 
still a silver lining. Yeah. But I think... like you said, we have to be putting the pressure on the politicians to make sure that that happens. 100%. Because I, I think, you know, and even I would say 2050, that's too late. Like, I think that's a very generous amount of time. Like, I think the time to act is now. And that's been made very clear by, you know, like these hurricanes, these wildfires, like that is a product of climate change. Again, like we are witnessing the consequences to our actions as we speak. And I think, um, I think there are some politicians that are aware of this, like, um, AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez was quoted a couple, like last week, I think saying that like, you know, the interests of the fossil fuel industry and the interests of this planet are incompatible. And I applaud her for that, you know, and obviously people love to write her off, like, especially the Republicans as like some crazy woman. Uh, but I, I really think that she like, in terms of like truly good politicians, like she's one of the best we've got, like she really has her priorities straight for the most part. And, um, I, I think that's excellent. And, you know, she obviously championed the green new deal a couple of years back and that received like a lot of pushback. And I, I just don't know what we can do to get like the rest of our, politicians on board like the republicans i don't want to call them a lost cause but like they don't have like any vested interest you know their voters are going to reelect them whether they act on climate or not i think the democrats we i don't know progressives like you and i are you know democratic socialists communists that whole group of leftists kind of a lot of them feel like you know, electoral politics is a lost cause, but I feel like, you know, we've talked about this before, like it's gotta be useful for something. And I don't know what we should do because we've got all these like varied interests and varied like methods of action. So like, what do you think the best way to get this accomplished is? Do you think it's electorally? I mean, I think it's a mix. I think, I I think, I don't think I wouldn't write electoral politics off in the same Mm -hmm. way that some some people would, but I definitely also know from history that the times where we had the most change was when you had people in the streets, like, yeah. like demanding you are going to change this. I mean, if we go back to the environmental movement in the 1970s, that was the biggest protest we've seen in terms of environmental action. And you got a Republican president named Richard Nixon, who created the EPA and did the Clean Water Act and did, did the Clean Air Act and did a lot of these things that, that we still, we still um, reap the benefits of um, today. So I, I think that that is more powerful than anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we really want to get our point across, it's got to be through that. Mm-hmm. Because what we see from politicians, not, not just on the right, but on even Joe Biden. Uh, so this is from The Guardian. Joe Biden's administration just announced that it's opening up 80 million acres of oil and gas drilling in the Gulf of Mexico. They estimate that the sale will produce 1.12 billion barrels of oil over the next 50 years. Joe freaking Biden. You know what? He got kudos from us uh, on our last episode. He did one thing right. (laughs) He did one thing. We got one thing. And now he goes and does this. And it's just, it's frustrating to me because like, I, I guess 
I don't stand to make a lot of money from drilling oil in the Gulf of Mexico. So I have a very unbiased opinion, but I am biased in that I'm a human living on this planet. And I just don't think that there's any amount of money that justifies this continued destruction of our shared ecosystem. I, 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 how do you like go to sleep at night? Like, how do you look in the mirror every morning and know that like, and I'm talking about like the executives and stuff, not necessarily Joe Biden. Well, I'll group him in too, because like, how do you live with yourself? You know what I mean? Not to sound like some kind of like bleeding heart or whatever, but truthfully from an ethical standpoint, that's. Yeah. There's, there's one or two things happening. Either they're just unaware of the consequences mm-hmm. or I don't know if their short-term profits are, are just more important. And they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm only going to be here for a short amount of time. I mean, right. you would think that they'd say, well, my kids are my right. What about but... your children? Yeah. I do remember I have a family member who told me, like I got into a little, you know, healthy debate with him about uh, climate change. And he was like, I don't care if my grandkids never see a polar bear. I won't be around. And I was like, okay, well, thanks for being honest. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) maybe that's it. Or maybe it's just like, like you said earlier, like, I don't understand the severity of this until it's like hitting me directly in the face. Like, I don't really get it. I think like I can be in the boardroom or I can be in Washington, DC talking about the, the um, complexities of climate change around a table, but you know, until it's me who's having my house flooded or my roof blown Mm -hmm. off or something, you know, I'm I'm not fully, fully going to get it or fully going to grasp it. Right. And that's kind of how it is for a lot of, political issues, you know, like until you're directly affected by something, you don't really get it. And you just kind of treat it as this respectful disagreement. Yeah. You know? I think and, you but really if you are directly, but if you are directly affected by that, it's like, no, this isn't a disagreement. Like these are people's lives. These are like, this is, this is serious. And I think there is still room, you know, kind of like we were talking about earlier for some people to stick their head in the sand when it comes to natural disasters, because there isn't yet in my perspective, a common understanding that these natural disasters are linked to climate change. I think that, you know, if you're some oil executive, you are fine with the platitudes of, oh, that's so sad, you know prayers for the people affected by hurricane Ida. And you don't like see yourself as being correlated with that. Yeah. And I think um, somebody made this point on Twitter a while back, like instead of naming hurricanes after women, we should start naming them after the corporations that caused them. So (laughs) when is, when is hurricane Exxon coming? (laughs) Right. Um, But just to go back to the platitudes, like this is from Joe Biden's Twitter. (laughs) My message to the people of the Gulf coast and everyone impacted by hurricane Ida is this we are here for you and we will get through this together keep the faith <laughs> that is like a slap in the face here for them in I what know. way like are you gonna start like, sending checks are you gonna right. send the covid checks that people never got are you gonna raise the minimum wage how are you there for them joe are you gonna do something to make sure it doesn't happen again exactly no but Louisiana's- he turns around and he signs that deal so that they can get more money from the gulf of mexico that's 
That's insulting. Yeah. And it just, again, it shows how like, this is not, this is not gonna, this is not gonna work by simply voting or simply getting someone into office. Like, yes, Joe Biden is better than Trump who allowed the EPA to loosen rules on certain toxic metals going into the water. But I mean, that's a pretty low bar. Right. (laughs) So yeah, we're definitely going to have to do a lot more in terms of direct action and making sure that we get actual substantial results when, when these, when these catastrophes happen. All right. And I guess there's nothing left.